Hello and welcome to the United on Wheels podcast. I'm your host, Paul Amadeus Lane. And thank you. Thank you for, for tuning in and now viewing this episode. We are so happy, happy to have you. Maybe this is your first introduction to the United Spinal Association. If it is, we warmly welcome you and encourage you to go to our website, unitedspinal.org. And when you go to our, our website, you will see a beautiful website there that talks about what we do at the United Spinal Association, the advocacy, the empowerment, and also the independence. You'll also find there some resources on things that you may not have been aware of that can help you out or your family member out. You can join our membership ranks and you can also find support. We know even before this pandemic, ones with disabilities and their family members, they really appreciate support out there. When someone is going through a similar situation that can offer some help and just some love, some comfort. And also there's some other great things you can find out on the website about uh, different things that you should be aware of when it comes to the law and what the rights are for ones who are disabled like myself. And you can also find out our story, why we exist in the first place. And this is really our first episode that we're including video. So for some of you who have heard us, uh, you can now see see my face. <laughs> Nothing special to look at, but we welcome, we welcome you. On this edition of the United on Wheels podcast, we really wanted to highlight something that's not getting a lot of attention. And that's persons who are disabled, the senior population out there who are contracting COVID-19, maybe through their caregivers, maybe through their nurses. We wanted to make sure that everyone was keeping not only themselves safe, but also the ones that they have been entrusted to care. Maybe you've heard stories of, of ones who might have contracted COVID-19 through a caregiver, through a nurse. I know I have a cousin who was just diagnosed the other day, and she lives in a managed care facility, senior facility, senior care, and nursing home. And we were all concerned as a family, like, how did she catch it? So I thought this would be a very serious, somber just subject that we can talk about because it's something very serious. So what can you as a caregiver do to the ensure the safety of the person that you have been entrusted to care for? And you as a person with a disability like myself, what can we do to make sure that our caregiver is taking precautions? I'm not the expert when it comes to to this subject, but we have someone who is. Someone who formerly worked for the CDC, is a very well-respected doctor who 
can explain things that we can understand without having to go over our head. And I'm so happy she decided to join us on this episode. And I'm so honored to have with me right now, Dr. Lisa Fitzpatrick. Dr. Fitzpatrick, welcome to the United on Wheels podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It is truly, truly, truly an honor. And, and Dr., the reason why I wanted to have you on, we see with this pandemic right here, that many persons with disabilities and their caregivers and even ones that are in um, a managed care facilities are at risk for COVID-19. How yeah. can we all protect ourselves? Any, any suggestions you can give us? Well, I, I'm glad you're asking this question. And I'm sure for so many people with disabilities who rely on uh, caregivers or outside support, um, this, is, this can be a very scary time. I think in addition to the, the things we all need to do, such as um, staying home if, we, if we're not feeling well or concerned, uh, we might have coronavirus infection, but keeping surfaces disinfected, keeping um, our hands as clean as possible. I know it's difficult and it sounds a little, uh, it sounds a little trite to say this all the time, keep your hands clean, but it really is important because we actually touch our faces a lot. So if someone's been around, let's say someone's been around me who's been coughing and sneezing and they touch things or they've been touching their own hands, those germs can be transferred to me when I touch the same surfaces. And so that's the reason we really spend a lot of time talking about that. But um, people have also heard a lot about the importance of using a mask. And the reason that's important is because Coronavirus is largely spread through what we call respiratory droplet. And there's some confusion about whether or not that means it's airborne. So if you think about what's happening when someone sprays um, germs when they talk or when they sneeze or cough, for, for a few seconds, uh, the, the germs might linger out in the air. But when we say airborne, we're not generally talking about germs flying around in the air indefinitely. And let's say I sneeze outside my house and those germs get carried two or three blocks from here. That's not what we're talking about. So the respiratory droplet spread is when people sneeze, cough. You may have heard there was a choir uh, that was infected because there was someone singing in the choir. So anything we do that can allow the spray to come from our nose or our mouth, that puts people at risk. And that's why we have to wear the mask. I know it's not pleasant to wear a mask. Um, so for people who are disabled and relying on other folks to come into the home, one thing you can do to keep yourself safe is to insist your caregivers are all wearing masks. I also get a question about, well, do my caregivers need to wear gloves? So here's the thing about gloves, because I see people wearing gloves and they keep them off for hours at a time. So just like my hands can get contaminated with coronavirus, if I put on a glove and let's say I pick up a cell phone, I sneezed or someone sneezed and the germs are on my cell phone, but I have a glove on the coronavirus can be on the glove. 
So if I don't change that glove and then I carry on and I come and I provide some service for you, that is a way this can be transmitted. So I think the the take home message for gloves is they're great if you need to pick something up and use it one time and then you have to take those gloves off and you take them off by exposing the inside and rolling it down and then throwing those gloves away. So I think we have to remind people that you can't just keep gloves on all day because you're touching surfaces and you're, you're touching things and you can still be transmitting coronavirus, even though you have on gloves, you're not doing it with your hand. You're just doing it with the glove. You know, so I'm going to stop there and see if you have any questions or reactions to that before no, I go. On. No, no. I, I'm glad you said that Dr. Fitzpatrick, because you know, me, I had no idea. I thought once you had on gloves, I thought the coronavirus maybe couldn't couldn't live on plastic or things like that. But I'm so glad that you're sharing that with us because there's a lot of misconceptions out there. You know, growing up where I grew up, you know, we had all these hood remedies and all these things that we talked about, but sometimes didn't have any merit. So when it comes to like these folklores and when it comes to like gloves, I'm so glad that you set the record straight when it comes to that, because that is so, so vital for us. And one of the things I wanted to talk about too, Dr. Fitzpatrick is, when you look at someone like myself who's a quadriplegic, why are we considered high risk? I didn't know this until like a few months ago, and I'm so glad that another fellow quad of mine, a friend of mine, told me about this because of my respiratory problems, and I had no idea. So could you explain that of why like quads in particular and ones who have kind of compromised um, lung capacity is high risk? Yeah, so being quadriplegic, or, or having any kind of spinal cord injury in and of itself doesn't necessarily put you at risk, more risk for coronavirus, but for people who have had these injuries for a long time and may have developed some decline in their lung function or maybe their immune systems are not as strong as they were or maybe they have infections, like I know wounds are sometimes a big challenge for people with spinal cord injury. Those are all things that make a person more susceptible just because the body is not able to fight off the infection as effectively as someone who doesn't have those problems. So that's the reason. Now, specifically related to your lungs, the reason that's a concern is, and especially for people who have high spinal cord injuries who may not be able to cough effectively, it's difficult uh, to to get a good cough sometimes, and if that ha- the purpose of coughing is actually it's your body responding to something that's not supposed to be there, or f- let's say if you have a cold and you, and you start coughing, it's because your body is trying to release um, the 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 I'm I'm just gonna say junk for lack of a better word. <laughs> I love a lot it. of gunk that gets in our lungs and. And I don't want to get too technical about what happens inside your lungs when you get an infection, but your body is combating the infection. And so it produces mucus and lots of fluids and secretions. And when we cough, we're trying to get that out. So if you if you're not able to effectively cough to remove all those germs, then it's easier for the virus or bacteria to live in that environment 
which means you could be prone to worse uh, infection from coronavirus. Wow. And as you know, the coronavirus likes lung tissue. It, it, it gets in through the nose and through the mouth. And, you know, I had a I have a prop. I should have I should have brought it because I think the picture is worth a thousand words. But it shows that if you look from the side, what's happening, your nose and your mouth, those passages lead down to the lungs. And that's why it's so important to keep these surfaces covered in case you have coronavirus. It may be in your nose or in your throat, but eventually it might travel to the lungs. Wow. So I know that's a lot of uh, technical information. No, I'm but, glad. I'm glad you shared it with us because I think during this pandemic, it has caused us to really educate ourselves when it comes to different medical terms or different medical things of how our body work. I mean, it's it's our bodies that that has been given us. So we should we need to just like a car. You know, if we look at the manual, we want to make sure that it works right. So I'm glad that you're sharing that with us, Dr. Fitzpatrick. And that's the that is the best metaphor. I love this metaphor about the car because. We we don't think about our bodies. We take them for granted. And some people treat their cars better than their bodies. But there are a lot of similarities between cars and bodies. So if you take care of your car, it'll last for hundreds of thousands of miles. Same thing for the body. So we need to think about our bodies as something that needs constant and consistent maintenance. I totally so I agree. Love I love that metaphor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I worked hard <laughs> on it. I'll be in Vegas on the 15th. No, I'm just joking. But uh, it, it it definitely really just highlights us how we have to really educate ourselves. And Dr. Fitzpatrick, one of the things I wanted to, to touch on too, especially when it comes to persons with disabilities and also caregivers, sometimes we feel uh, because we have a over familiar familiarity with a caregiver has been our caregiver for years. We may feel uncomfortable to ask them, can you put a mask on, please? Can you do this? Can you do that? Why is this something we can't mess around with? Again, just how how important it is for us to do that, because I know some they're like, well, I don't want to I don't want to make get them on my bad side. I don't want them to leave me as a caregiver. You know, why is this nothing really to play around with again? I just really want to highlight that again. Yeah, it's not it's it's nothing to play around with, especially for people who have underlying health conditions. That's one thing we know for sure. There are a lot of things we're still trying to figure out about coronavirus. But one of the things we know for sure is that people who have chronic health conditions, heart disease, lung disease, weakened immune systems, diabetes, cancer, stroke, get into trouble with coronavirus, meaning they have to be admitted to the hospital and the death rates are a lot higher for, for folks who have these underlying conditions. So that's why it's important. But I want to impress upon people, you should not have to ask your caregiver to take these steps, particularly because the agencies that send these people to your home are responsible for ensuring the people who come to take care of you have the necessary equipment they need. You know, we call, we call it protect personal protective equipment. So masks, gloves, and if necessary, gowns. These organizations are responsible for providing that. So you shouldn't be in a position in which you have to, you have to, I, I, I won't say struggle, but convince your caregiver they should be doing this. It's the right thing to do. And now it's the standard of care 
that this is the way we have to conduct ourselves, particularly people going into someone's home, because that's putting you um, at risk. Because everyone else, you know, part of the public health guidance is we want people to stay home. So if you're already at home and then someone's coming into your home and you don't know where they've been, that potentially puts you at risk. And so it's all the more important that they follow the public health guidance. And so if you get in a situation like that, I know it's uncomfortable to have to call the agency because it seems as if you're telling on the person. But your health is is of great importance. And if they're your caregiver, they should care about that too. Absolutely. Don't view us as a check. View us as 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 another human being, you know, that's precious. Yeah, but I, but I would hope it wouldn't come to that yeah. because it makes me wonder if that's the caregiver you want long-term, if you have to convince them that they need to protect you. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And Dr. Fitzpatrick, we, we talked about the, the guidelines of staying at home. What is a safe, effective way that we may can go outside and, and maybe get a, a little bit of fresh air. What what do you recommend for us to to do that? Yes, I thank thank you so much for asking this question because I I think one of the best things we can do right now, as long as we're practicing social distancing when we're outside, is be outside, get some fresh air in. If you if you feel you can't practice social distancing, just take your mask with you. But if you are in a wide open space. Get outside, take a few deep breaths in. Not only is it good for you physically, for your lungs, but it's good for our mental health and our mental wellness and our spirit because it gets hard being inside day after day after day uh, with no no fresh air. So absolutely, I think that the way you do it safely uh, is to practice social distancing to get outside. And then once you're outside, Keep your mask on until you can find a place uh, where you don't have a lot of people around you and you're able to just enjoy the space, taking big breaths in and out. I, I love that. Um, one, one word of caution, doctor, that I seen another day I was uh, uh, driving home. I had to go get, get something essentially that I needed. And I saw ones walking in my neighborhood, no mask, but I didn't see a mask in their hand, not a mask in their pocket or anything. They might've had it in their pocket. I don't want to assume things, but, but what, what are some things we can do to take precautions if we do go outside now, if we social distance, we're doing all the great things. What can, what other layer of protection can we do to make sure that if somebody runs up on us, that we're not caught slipping or anything? Yeah. You know, the, and that's also a good question. Your questions are, are so good and so relevant. Thank you. You know, we we can't control what other people do, which is why we have to appeal to people's um, sense of community and remind people you're wearing a mask, not just to not just for you, but to protect your neighbor. And sometimes that doesn't work because, frankly, a lot of people have told me, well, I don't need to wear a mask or I don't believe. You know, I need to wear a mask and and they frankly don't believe coronavirus is a big threat at all. So you will find people like that. But I think that if if you 
are really concerned about this, I think one of the best things you can do is try to find access to an N95 mask, uh, which may be possible for people who are disabled. We try to reserve those masks for healthcare providers uh, because those those masks uh, prevent uh, the infection. So the, the mask we want people to wear when they go outside is to protect you from getting coronavirus from me. But the N95 mask will protect you from getting, from breathing in coronavirus. Um, so, you know, it wouldn't be my first choice because we really do need to make sure healthcare workers have access to those. Um, but if, if it's a great concern and you, you have chronic lung disease or, and you really want to go outside, it, it's something uh, you could talk to uh, your provider about. And Dr. Fitzpatrick, we've seen other masks out there, like, like kind of like the plastic ones with the shield. How effective are those and are those recommended any? Well, so I think the shield is uh, sort of a matter of preference. Um, there are people, there are a few people who've speculated they've gotten coronavirus through their eyes. Um, there's no way to prove that. The vast majority, if not, you know, 99, I don't know, I'm making this up, 99% of infections are really through the respiratory tract, not through the eyes. And so the shield is really there to, uh, would be to protect the eyes. If you already have on a mask that's covering your nose uh, and your mouth. So you could achieve the same effect by having on eyewear, so eyeglasses. Mm -hmm. um, but the CDC, and there is also a recent study um, looking at homemade masks. And they recognize that masks that are bandanas, fleece, mm -hmm. and certain types of cotton are not effective. Wow. So particularly the bandanas and the fleece, and this is um, fairly new information, uh, but we want to discourage people from using masks that are made, that are created from bandanas um, and then fleece. Thank you but so much. But other than that, um, we, you know, I, I prefer the surgical masks. So the ones you can get from CVS, um, you pinch the nose mm -hmm. with the loops behind the ears. I think those are great. You know, surgeons and people in the hospital wear those all day long. Um, and while we're on the subject of masks, there is also a misconception that if you wear a mask, you can't get in oxygen and you can suffer from CO2 poisoning. <laughs> Some people are this saying that misinformation. So yeah, misinformation. So when, yes. we, when we inhale, we take in oxygen. And when we exhale, our body is releasing toxins. The major one is CO2, carbon dioxide. And if you can't release carbon dioxide, it causes symptoms like lightheadedness, headache, maybe some nausea, feeling tired. But the mask, the mask will allow CO2 and oxygen to pass through because these are gases. So it's not like a droplet. It's actually like air. So it, the, the, the word we use in chemistry is diffuse. So it moves across the mask out into the air. 
So if you hear people saying you shouldn't wear a mask because you'll get CO2 poisoning or your, your blood level of oxygen will drop, that is not true. In fact, I did a little experiment when I was out in the community a few weeks ago. I kept my mask on and then I put a little oxygen meter on my finger. Wow. So you could see that my oxygen was not dropping while I had my mask on. I love that. If you have that footage anywhere, please share it with me because I would love to love to blast that on social media. Yeah, unfortunately, we didn't video it, but um, I could certainly. I think I took a picture of it. I think it's on my Twitter page, actually. Okay, I'll definitely. Some, share. Um, but the the thing I will say about masks, it is a drag to wear a mask, and some people feel claustrophobic in the mask. Um, some people truly feel they can't breathe when they have on a mask. And I think for those folks, it's it's important to minimize the mask or if you have to go, let's say, to the grocery store and you have to wear a mask, make sure that you take breaks. So make it a short trip so that you don't have to wear the mask for a long time. So there, there are ways and, you know, tricks to deal with this. So hopefully... This is a this yeah. is a temporary situation. We won't have to wear masks forever. So I think it's just a sacrifice, you know, for the next few months or so. I hope. Yeah. I have no idea how long this is going to last. People keep asking me that too. Yeah. How long is this going to last? I have no <laughs> idea. But I'm really hopeful that it's just a few more months if that. Yeah, yeah, tell me about it. If people just listen to the recommendations from the from the amazing doctors out there like you and others who are trying to let us know what's really going on, then we can, we can move past this. And you brought up a very good subject about uh, the, uh, like the mask with the, with the, but you can pinch up here. I had to go to my rehab hospital, Dr. Um, um, Rancho Los Amigos medical center in Downey. He had to go down there and uh, pick up some compression uh, stockings and I had my own mask on, but when I got there, they said, no, 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 you have to put our mask on. Now, my mask was sharp. I got like decals on it with my A on it and everything. I was trying to be sharp, but they said, no, you got to put this mask on. And it made a lot of sense because they want to make sure at the medical facilities that we have the top notch mask on to minimize any spread or any, any problems. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was. Was there a question in there for me? I missed it. No, it wasn't a question. I was just blabbing and and, and, and bragging on myself. But but uh, here's an- <laughs> but here's another question for you though. One question I wanted to ask you was, when it comes to just the misinformation out there, and you kind of touched on it too. Why is it so important to cross the T's and dot the I's? Yeah, you know, this is challenging because there's so much information uh, about coronavirus flying around and a lot of it's conflicting. And it's important for people to try and figure out where the credible information is coming from. I ask people to rely on sources uh, where we historically have looked for scientific information. And that's, or, you know, that's organizations like the CDC, um, academic researchers who have been experts on a topic, um, look to those voices um, to, to get health information. It's, it's really challenging, though, because a lot of this information is floating around in the community, and it may start out as true information, but by the time 
it gets on the grapevine and it passes through, you know, 10, 20, 50 people, the message become dis comes distorted and then it's um, inaccurate. That's, that's what we're dealing with. In fact, that's why my company is called Grapevine Health, because we get a lot of health information on the grapevine, but unfortunately, some of it's just not true. Uh, so I think... We have to do our best to do the due diligence. I'm assuming that's what you mean by, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Um, but just try and get as much information as you can. I think you're doing a good job just asking experts to to give some, some input. Um, and if you can't find the answer, you know, keep asking questions. And um, it's, it's hard, though. I, I wish I had a, a better answer to no. help people sift through all the noise. No, it, it was awesome the way you did it because I was thinking about the telephone game, you know. By the time it gets to the next, it's so distorted. But I'm glad that you shared that, uh, Doctor Fitzpatrick. Just two more questions. I know you got a very busy schedule, but two more questions I wanted I wanted to ask you. Um, the first one was, what made you want to get into medicine and to help help the community out there? Was it something that you experienced in your life, or something that when you were younger you said you wanted to to get into the medical field? What what brought you to where you're at today as one of the leading experts? Uh, when it comes to medicine, you know that's it's interesting. I I wanted to be a doctor since I can remember. Most of my my first job, well, actually, my first job was not in medicine. I was making hot dogs at the St. Louis Zoo. <laughs> wow, that yeah. is that is so cool. So so before you go any further, what, what's like the best dog you ever made with sauerkraut, uh, peppers, uh, with sliced beef on it? What's like the so, so my job was just to cook them, and they okay. kept me on because there's there's a there's a rhythm to making hot dogs at a concession stand because if you make too many hot dogs and it's not keep you know you make too many hot dogs and there's not a lot of traffic, the hot dogs get cold. If you don't make enough hot dogs and it's really uh, crowded, then you're behind and it backs up the line. So I was very good at anticipating like how many hot dogs I needed to make so that they would always be like just off the grill and ready and hot. So <laughs> I love it. I love now. Do you still use those skills today? Are you don't are you don't mess with the hot dogs no more? Well, I, I actually am very good about anticipating, planning, and assessing. So nice. maybe. I but love my it. Job, my job after that that got me into the health sector was I was a volunteer at a nursing home. And I worked in a pharmacy and I really enjoyed it. I was also very good at science and also very interested in the body. And even as a child, my mother, you know, encouraged me to think about medicine and she bought me this toy called the invisible woman. And I could see the, all the organs inside the body. I wish I still had that, but I ended up breaking it, I think. But anyway, <laughs> I went to medical school and from there, have just tried lots of different things after becoming a doctor. I've had so many great experiences. I've worked at CDC and public health. I've lived in Africa for a time. Um, I, I've worked for insurance company. I mean, I've just done a lot of different things. And so it's really interesting. There are so many different ways to help people. And it's just, I think some of us are just called to service and I'm one of those people. And we are so glad that, that that you have been called out. I would be negligent in my duties if I didn't ask you about telehealth. Why is that? Oh. Why is that so important? 
uh, nowadays, especially during this pandemic, not only for persons with disabilities, but also ones who are not disabled. And did you know this was an area of interest of mine? I sure did. I, I did. I did my research. I have some friends over <laughs> at the Consumer Technology Association. So I kind of, a little birdie told me. Well, do you know my good friend, Renee Kwashi? I sure do. He and I exchange emails a lot. I know one of his good friends, uh, Steve Yule from the CTA Foundation. Um, I've worked with the CTA for many years, broadcasting live from CES. So, so we go way back. So I'm going to have you on my tech show that I do, that I do for the station too. So that, that's coming up too. So we're giving a shout out to Renee. Yeah, he's a, a great guy. Um, so yeah, telehealth is very important right now. I even shifted to provide telemedicine services during the pandemic because pre-pandemic, I was really focused on how you can um, get people to use to use the emergency room less if it's for non-emergencies. Because I don't know if you know, but a lot of our emergency rooms pre-pandemic were stuffed with people who were there for non-emergencies. And once I learned the emergency rooms were ha only half full, I wondered where is everyone going? Because there must be sick people who are not going to the emergency room. So I realized one way we could help people was to offer telemedicine. And lots of doctor's offices had already shifted to telemedicine. Um, so it, it is really important. Um, what I'm finding though is people don't mind talking on the phone but not everybody wants to have a video visit. And I think for a lot of people that's okay, but there are some people, some people in the absence of being able to be in the clinic or in the office um, with the ability to listen, you know, listen to heart and lungs and lay hands on, it's really important to see someone because you can get a lot of information. Like what's the, what's their skin color look like? Are there, you know, are there, membranes dry like are they looking dehydrated um there there's a lot you can get from looking at a person so i think helping people understand the value of telemedicine is very important uh, but related to this there are also a lot of conversations about the digital divide or suggesting that um, poor people or people who live in some of our lower income neighborhoods don't have access to the internet so they cannot use telemedicine. And I'm just here to say, I'm going to set the record straight. That's not the issue. I think people have access to, they don't have fancy technology sometimes, but they can still have a video visit on their phone. It may not be the best picture, um, but I would say nine times out of 10, we can conduct either a, t a telephone call or a video visit with a smartphone. And I want people to recognize that in the absence of being able to see a doctor um, in the clinic, this is the next best option right now. And, you know, I don't want people to be concerned uh, that it's inferior because it's kind of the best we have right now. But while we're on this subject, I have to tell you, um, one of the, when, when we do what I call street walking, to listen to people, we've heard people talk about the 5G and how it's influencing coronavirus. But people can't explain to me what's going on. 
And yesterday, just yesterday, someone finally helped me understand this, the misinformation around coronavirus and 5G technology. It's not that they're afraid of the, the 5G causing coronavirus. He said, the issue is the community has been against the 5G technology because of the perceived health effects from the radiation. And now they're concerned that we are distracted by coronavirus. So a lot of the 5G implementation is moving forward. So again, I think this is partly a grapevine issue or the game of telephone. So we're hearing there's something about 5G and coronavirus, but we're not quite sure. And so, you know, the the bottom line is people are saying the 5G is linked to coronavirus. So I'm glad. very instructive to be in a community listening to what people are saying and thinking. I'm so glad that you touched that because being in, in tech myself, when I hear like conspiracy theories like that, I'm like, oh, my goodness. But so I'm glad that a medical expert has chimed in on it to let us know about that. And we are so grateful, uh, Dr. Fitzpatrick, to have you spend time with us and chat with us. Give us a lot of food for thought when it comes to, to COVID-19, persons with disabilities, telehealth, all the gambit. We definitely, definitely appreciate it. And a hot dog, a lesson in making hot dogs. We really <laughs> Really appreciate that too. I'm a, I'm gonna try to implement that because even I'm a quad. I don't recommend eating a lot of hot dogs, right? Every now and then, maybe, but. I got no. you. I got you because you know the, I got I got the COVID thirty, not the COVID fifteen. Uh, the COVID the COVID fifteen. Oh, that's what that's I. That's real. That is real. Yeah. Yeah. That's and what, you know Netflix and chill and COVID. That's not a good combination. No, it's not. I know a conversation that I have with uh, a mutual. Uh, person that we know, Dr. Libby Roy, I remember one time when she had an article on, uh, on COVID-15. I said, I said, Dr. Libby, I got the COVID-30. I said, I, I didn't pass the 15, so I got to work on it. And that's so important, especially for someone like myself who's a wheelchair user, non-ambulatory. I really got to work on that. So I'm working on yeah. it, Doc. I'm working on it. I really am. You're doing great. Well, thank you so much. Before I let you go, how can ones find out more information about you and uh, the great organization of Grapevine and how can they stay informed? And also your great, the great articles you write too for, for Forbes magazine, right? Yeah. Forbes health. I'm a contributor and um, I blog. Um, I should blog more, but you can find my blogs on Forbes health, but I'm also all over the internet. I'm on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So on Twitter and on Twitter, I'm at Health Grapevine. That's my company. And Ask Dr. Fitz. And on Facebook and Instagram, I'm at Grapevine Health. All right. We appreciate that. Doctor. Oh, we also have a YouTube channel. Yeah. Nice. Don't forget, I can't forget about that because we need to, we want to go live from the street on YouTube, but we need more followers before we can do it. So, are we subscribe to our YouTube channel? You Grapevine Health. Well, definitely do that. We definitely we appreciate uh, you taking time out of your busy schedule, Doctor Fitzpatrick. Doctor Fitz, thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to okay. chatting with you real soon. It was a pleasure talking to you. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. Cool. A huge thank you. A huge thank you to the amazing Doctor Lita Fitzpatrick. Oh, to get her on to talk with us, uh, 
it's really a privilege. I mean, her knowledge uh, when it comes to health uh, is truly invaluable for us, especially if we're dealing with a disability or if we are a caregiver, just her insight well, it was matchless. And remember, she told us about some hot dogs. So <laughs> I know the COVID-15 to turn to COVID-30 for me, but I'm definitely, definitely working on it again. Thank you so much for tuning in. And don't forget to check out our website, unitedspinal.org. And there you'll find out some of the great things uh, that uh, United Spinal Association is doing in behalf of persons with disabilities, with the advocacy, the empowerment, and the independence that it teaches us to have. I am Paul Amadeus Lane. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. You can always connect with me at paulamadeuslane.com. All the social media is at Paul Amadeus Lane. Made it easy for everybody. Until next time, please take care of folks and take care of those that you are taking care of. Take care.